Well, as always, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. As we uh, open up this morning, we are going to be looking at, uh, as we open up the Bible, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah, the reluctant missionary. And we're going to see that we can embrace God's mission of mercy. And I believe that as we open up this scripture continuously when I preach, often I utilize the, the word we because I'm in this as well. I myself find myself in this message and needing this reminder. And so I know that it's not just a me thing, it's a we thing. And so I encourage you as we walk through this passage and this message together to remember that I don't have it all together. I don't know everything. I can't live into everything at all times, but I am challenged by this word, and I hope that you are as well. Many of you may or may not know I love fantasy novels, and my favorite is probably The Lord of the Rings. And many of you have maybe read Lord of the Rings or watched the Lord of the Rings movies, for those of you who are not wanting to read long books. But in this story, there is this uh, theme of Aragorn, son of Arathorn, who is to be the next king of Gondor. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, all right? But he is to be the one who is to bring kind of salvation to the world that's under oppression. And he is supposed to live into this calling. But for the majority of the story, he tries to hide. He tries to ignore what he's supposed to do. He tries to push it off and say maybe it's someone else's issue. But continuously he is pressured by the situation around him and realizes that he finally has to step into that which he was designed for as the last king of Gondor. As we look at that, I believe that we can find ourselves in that story, that we can find Jonah in that story. Jonah, however, did not step into the fullness of what he was called to. He did the minimal effort, as we will remember his story. But you and I, although the stakes are not saving an entire world from orcs, it is a duty of ours to be on mission to bring people to Christ. It is our call in life to, to serve the Lord with our time, our talent, and our treasure as we spend time praying for those who are overseas, but also praying for us to be on mission here in a local space. And I think maybe as I was walking through the sermon preparation, that is what the Holy Spirit has been putting upon my heart with what has been going on in our county. In Ephesians 2.10, we are reminded that we have a purpose, that we have a calling that is given to us from the Lord Himself. And so I want to share how we can live into that. Because often we ignore the call on mission, myself included, because we're too busy, we're too tired, maybe we're too lazy, maybe we don't have a full understanding of what we're called to. Either way, often we ignore what we are to do because we tend to choose our own path, our own way, and our own desires over the Lord's. Again, this is a we thing. I am in this. I often choose my own agenda, my own desires, my own way over the Lord's. And I am continuously convicted and convinced when I come to Scripture that I'm doing the wrong thing, that I need to be on His mission. 
And Jonah's mission was a mission of mercy. And so how can we embrace the Lord's mission of mercy? You see, Jonah was a proven prophet. When you have studied the story of Jonah, you might not know, but he first prophesied to the people of Israel. He gave them a good word, an encouraging word. He was able to, to boost and bolster the people of Israel. The majority of prophets, they were yelling at Israel. They were saying, if you don't turn, you burn, right? They had the, the hard job of being angry with the Israelites, trying to call them out of their stupidity. But Jonah got to say, good things are coming, right? Many of you may not know that about Jonah's story, but that is one aspect of who he is. And I believe Jonah gives us six keys to embracing the Lord's mission. And the first key is the key of nonsense. What, Pastor? Nonsense? The Lord's mission and mercy rarely make sense to the human mind. Let's read 2 Kings 14, 25, and then Jonah 1, 1 through 2. This is the good word that Jonah got to give. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. He got to say, the Lord is going to restore things that we lost. Now Jonah 1, 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So let's, let's just unpack really quickly how weird this is. Just the very portion of a prophet going to the, a Gentile city was unheard of. This is abnormal. This is something that is not a normative pattern for the prophets in the Old Testament. So first, Jonah is called to go to a Gentile community, a Gentile community who has been violent and, and not a nice neighbor to them. They were horrible to the Israelites, and here God is calling him to go. And now we also see that Jonah would have been the worst person to go and speak repentance and mercy to a people who hated him. He was a very pro-Israel prophet. He didn't get to anti-Israel what they were doing. He got to boost them up and encourage them. But here Jonah's the one who's called. Out of all the prophets, who, who could have been called? It was Jonah. And so this actually doesn't make sense. A prophet speaking to Gentiles, and Jonah, who no one would have ever anticipated to go. One commentator says the original readers of the book of Jonah would have been amazed that God would send a man like that to preach to the people he most feared and hated. When I see the story of Jonah, I see this also. The Lord uses unlikely people for unlikely missions with undeserved mercy. You see, the mission of God didn't make sense. The person that God chose didn't make sense. And often when we look at Scripture and we see what God has done, we look at ourselves and say, oh, I could never do that. That wouldn't make any sense. That, that's just not me. That's not my ability. That's not my gifting to talk about Jesus or to engage in conversation with people or to live the Christian life along non-Christians. I just want to be in my little bubble. That's not me. 
Well, it wasn't Jonah either, but God still called him. It didn't make sense. But God will and does use unlikely people for unlikely missions with undeserved mercy. Choosing both the Ninevites and Jonah was purposeful, although in our minds and the Israelites' minds, it was nonsensical. My questions for you are, how often do we see God's work in our lives or the lives of others and reject it because it doesn't make sense? Who are we to argue with God? The second key that we see is the key of obedience. We are to obey the Lord when it's hard, not just when it's easy. A passage of scripture that the Lord just keeps pressing upon my heart and my soul comes in 1 Peter 1 through 2. And the portion of what it says is that we are to have the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience. When we are made holy and we are called to be made holy and holier in our lives, where we are to be sanctified through and through, as Scripture says, we as a denomination believe that Jesus is our sanctifier. And the sanctification comes from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of obedience. Which means if we're not, we're not obeying, we're losing portions of our holiness, handing it over to the enemy, saying, "Ah, I'm just going to disobey here and disobey there and disobey there, and it becomes bigger. But we are to obey the Lord when it's hard, not just when it's easy. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now they say Tarshish three times, which is not an easy word to say, when you're preaching anyways. But they, they highlight this in one verse, because Tarshish is completely opposite of Nineveh. It's the opposite way. It's like, hey, go over here, and you're like, oh, you know, go to Pittsburgh. Well, I'm going to go to Buffalo. Right? That's, it's the opposite way of where God is calling him to. There is an absolute sense of disobedience from Jonah. And the writer, the author of Jonah, wants to show you how disobedient he is being. Now, we have to look at this in, in context. And one of the things that is happening in our world can help us contextualize a lot more in our minds why Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites. Today, in today's world, we see right now in our cultural moment, Israel being attacked by Hamas. We see the horrible violence. I couldn't even look at pictures because they were available, but I couldn't even click on that. Because what I knew, what was there, I couldn't look at it. The violence that is going on against Israel is, is deep and is, is dark. But imagine... If a prophet was called from the Israeli people at this moment to go over to Hamas and bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ, to say there is salvation for your soul. And imagine if all those people in Hamas came to faith in Jesus. You see, 
He was so angry against the Ninevites. He was so frustrated with what they had done. He had hated them so deeply because of what they were doing and will continue to do to his people that Jonah was like, no, if I go and talk to them about repentance, the only reason you're sending me is because you're going to save them. I don't want them saved. I'm not going to go. I'm going to flee. I am not obeying you. This is too hard. When he gave the message of Israel, we're awesome. God's going to restore everything. He was like, I'm all on that job. But when he said, I need you to do something hard, Jonah refused. He did not go. One pastor that I know, is to, he says that when we disobey, we turn away. We move away from what God has called us to do. And the question, I think, as we look at this, is this. Will we obey even when it's hard to go? Even when it's hard to send? Even when it's hard to serve? Even when it's hard to pray? Will we obey. Again, this is a we thing. I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at myself. When it's hard, will I, will we obey? Jonah was allowing his, his fear and his anger to cause him to walk away from the calling that God had put upon his heart. He was not obeying. And so he turned away from the presence of God. Warren Wearsby says he only hated, he not only hated their sins, and the Assyrians were ruthless enemies, but he hated the sinners who committed the sins. His hatred was so deep and so real that when God said, I'm going to have a mission of mercy and I'm sending you, he said, no way. Sometimes God is going to call us to nonsensical missions that are difficult. Will we step into those moments? Our, our missions theme for the CMA this year is two hard places. This fits absolutely perfect for us as we think about missions in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you uh, saw my Facebook earlier this week, the, the missionaries that are in Jerusalem have refused to leave. They said, no, we will stay. And we will minister not only to the Israeli people, but we will minister to the Palestinian people. We will seek to bring the gospel to both sides because both sides need the truth of Jesus Christ. Imagine if there was a prophet who went to the people in Hamas and they all came to saving faith in Jesus. The, the war would end. Right? The war would end because they would believe in Jesus and realize that, wow, this is not what we're called to. See, when Jonah went and preached that message, the Ninevites came to salvation. They found God, and the war of their people for a generation ended. Jonah couldn't see that far. He could just see the people I hate are going to come to salvation. He couldn't see that it would change the landscape for his own people. You see, God is calling us to hard things sometimes, and we must obey even when it's hard. The third key is the key of connection. Refusal to go on mission hinders our connection to the Lord. A very important phrase in that passage is that he left from the presence of the Lord. But let's look at Jonah. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, you look at that and see that he fled from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. His refusal to obey hindered his connection 
with the Lord. He knew that if he fleed, if he left and disobeyed, that his connection with God would be hindered or broken. But he didn't care. He cared more about his own agenda. He cared more about his own heart. He did not need to be connected to God if this is what it meant. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, Jonah knew that he couldn't run away from God's presence because he knew Psalm 139, 7-12, but he felt he had the right to turn in his resignation. How often do we sometimes just want to resign to the fate of what's going on? As I talked about earlier, we just want to resign to the spiritual flatline of our community. We just want to resign and say, well, I'm just going to make it through. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to make it through this moment. But God has so much more. When we walk in obedience, we walk in deeper intimacy with Him. And the deeper intimacy with Him that we have, the easier obedience becomes because it's the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience. And we can only become more and more sanctified through and through by being in the presence of the Lord, getting on our knees, seeking the Lord's face, opening up Scripture, journaling our pain and processing it with the Lord rather than ignoring it or pushing it away. God has so much more for us. The fourth key is the key of storms. Point six. Storms are difficulties in life that can arise from the sin of disobedience. Let's read Jonah 1, 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. One commentator says of this passage, The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. We see this passage and see and we notice that that Jonah's disobedience created a storm. Now we might say that we don't experience the the breaking apart of the the ship or boat of our lives when we sin or disobey, but we need to recognize that some of the storms that happen in our lives are a result of our own disobedience and our own sin. Every time we walk in in disobedience, we can anticipate some sort of storm or crisis that will arise in our lives. This storm was here for God to pressure Jonah into seeing his disobedience. I think that if Jonah would have repented and moved forward, which we'll talk about in a moment, that the storms would have calmed, that he would have said, listen, you need to take me over to Nineveh. We need to not go towards Tarshish anymore. We need to go this way. Had he done that, I believe the storm would have calmed down because it got his attention. But Jonah did not do that. He did not walk in obedience. We can ask the Lord, to use our storms for good rather than allowing them to destroy us. 
the storms that arise in our lives due to our disobedience can wake us up, can strengthen us in our faith, can bring us to a place where we realize I've been going the wrong way. I need to turn the ship around and go the other way. Storms will arise when we sin. How will we use those storms in our lives? Jonah did not use it properly. Jonah pushed back. Storms can sometimes mercifully redirect us back to obedience. Redirect us back. A commentator says this of this passage, Storms can wake us up to truths we would otherwise never see. Storms can develop faith, hope, love, patience, humility, and self-control in us that nothing else can. And innumerable people have testified that they found faith in Christ and eternal life only because some great storm drove them toward God. Take a moment and think about the storms that you have experienced in life. Some of them have threatened to break your life apart. We've seen the devastation in our community that we talked about, the brokenness that we have been experiencing. It can break families, communities apart. There was a huge scandal, and I'm not going to talk about this this past week in one of our churches. It could break a church apart. The storms that we experience can either create more disobedience or deeper faith. When we experience those storms, how do we approach them? Also, think about the past storms in your life and the things that have happened in you that you realized that you needed God more. Those moments where life was difficult, but God became your refuge. God became your place of restoration. How beautiful was that? Recognizing that God was there to run to in the midst of your storms. I challenge you to remember your own testimony, to remember your own storms, to remember those times where you did turn to God and he turned out what what the enemy meant for evil, he turned for good. Every storm in our lives, whether they were created by our sin or not, because there are some storms that will come, many of the storms that come to our lives are not created by disobedience, but they are distractions or painful things that the enemy seeks to destroy us with. But, Anything that the enemy would try to use for evil, God can and will turn for good. Jonah didn't want that. Jonah did not want to go on the mission of mercy that he was called to because of his hatred and his fear, his desire to not see those who God was reaching out to, to come to faith. And in his disobedience, there was a huge storm that arose. The fifth key that we can see is the key of repentance. Repentance 
can help still the storms started by our own sins. Now, this is a little bit of a longer passage. Jonah 1, 7 through 15. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and not lay us on innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. This moment in Jonah's life, to me, is fascinating. He knows that this storm is his fault. He knows that his own sin and disobedience have put these men who are taking him to Tarshish in danger. Not only was he himself in danger, but his sin and disobedience caused problems for other people. Let's just pause for a second. How often do the storms that we allow in our lives because of our disobedience affect our families, affect our communities, affect our churches? Because they eventually will. Our sin harms others. It's not just a sin or disobedience that harms us. But often we are too selfish to think about that. We want to do what we want to do. We want to live and lean into our own flesh. We want to run away from the presence of the Lord. Go after our own agenda, as Jonah did. But then he realized, this is all my fault. And what's interesting is there's this sense in the Hebrew that he knew what was wrong, but didn't offer until he was asked what was wrong. He didn't come out and, and say, hey, this is my fault. He, he hid a little bit. He was sleeping. He was not on the deck. But then when he was directly asked, he had to confess and admit, yeah, this is kind of my problem, guys. And then he said, hurl me over. Just kill me. I'm not worth living. You guys deserve to live. So just, just kill me. Throw me over the edge. And even though this storm it was his fault, these men who are not Hebrews are still trying to save Jonah's life. They're like, no, 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 we don't want you to die because your God who made the land and the sea, if he's really this powerful God that you claim him to be, we're afraid that he will kill us anyways if we kill you. 
So no, we got to try and row to dry land. We can't allow you to die. But eventually it gets so bad that they take him up on his offer and they throw him into the sea. Smith, the commentator, says, he did not exhibit repentance for fleeing from the Lord, but merely resigned himself to the only seeming solution. When Jonah could have chosen repentance, he chose resignation. Jonah, all he had to do was repent and turn back to the presence of the Lord and do that which he called him to. God wanted to use him for a mission of mercy to bring broken people who were dying without the truth of Yahweh. He wanted to see them saved. He wanted to bring them mercy. But Jonah didn't want that. He wanted his own thing. So much so that when God brought a storm in his life, that threatened the life of other people, he chose resignation rather than repentance. Some would say he was so hard-headed and stubborn that he thought, I can still go this way and win. I can still go this way. If I die, no one can go to the Ninevites. God's only calling me. I haven't heard anyone else be called to go to the Ninevites. So if I die, they die. You see the problem with this? Do you see this lack of repentance? Do you see that he is just so stubborn to not do what God has called him to do that he would rather die? I don't know about you, but I can be a pretty hard-headed, stubborn person. If I have a mission, I'm going to complete it, right? Sometimes that's really good and celebratory. Other times, that's my wife, it's not so good. Because I am stubborn. I am going to do it. I can be like Jonah. And I can try the same thing, expecting a different result. And you know what they call that? Insanity. That's the definition of insanity. Trying to do the same thing with a, a different result. It will always result in the same thing. Jonah was probably upset when he didn't die. Eventually, he comes to a place in Jonah 2 where he does have a conversation with God, but I want you to go home and read Jonah 2. He still doesn't repent. He's like, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd make me go anyways. <gasps> Childlike much? Right? I've done that. My children always do that. Jonah still didn't repent. But God still sent him anyways. The mission of mercy to God was so important for the Ninevites that he had them swallowed up by a fish. We have no idea if it was a whale. We like to imagine whales because, you know, in Pinocchio, the story is a whale. So we're like, well, that's a big enough animal to swallow someone. We have no idea. It's just a giant fish. He was eaten by this giant fish. And three days later, he was put out on Nineveh. And he's like, oh, man, Nineveh? <sighs> and then... He goes and preaches the worst message on the planet. It's so short. Repent and turn or you'll die. And he just went around saying the same thing. Repent or turn or you'll die. And he's like, if I preach the worst message, no one's going to listen. But everyone listened. 
That gives me hope. I look at Jonah's story and I say, my sermon can be really bad, but people will still hear it. Thank you, Jesus. But Jonah, he preached the worst message, and God still used it. People were saved. An entire generation was saved. But if Jonah just would have repented, he wouldn't have had to get swallowed by a fish. He wouldn't have had to worry about the storm. It would have calmed and he would have walked in obedience and he probably would have been able to preach a better message, which would make him look a little bit better for eternity. But he didn't. He didn't even repent. He resigned to death rather than going to what God has called him couple questions. How often do we choose the same? We'd rather anything else than to do God's will. How often do we choose that? I, I know I do. But the Spirit of God is calling us to choose repentance. If God is calling you to a specific task and you've been saying no, say yes. If God is calling you to let go of something in your life that's hindering you from mission, stop saying no and start saying yes. It'll be the best yes of your life. It will free you. It will give you the ability to see the full greatness of God rather than being bogged down and depressed and spiritually dead. Maybe that's what's going on in our community, that there is a lack of repentance from the people of God. Maybe we need to repent and choose what God is asking us to do. That will change the landscape of everything. And this brings me to the sixth key, the key of mercy. Allow God's mercy to empower your mission. Jonah 1, 16 through 17. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God saved Jonah's life. But look at what happened to the fishermen. In the beginning, they're praying to their own gods, but then they see the living God. And they throw Jonah over, and the storm stops, and all of a sudden, Jonah, without preaching one message, was able to be used by God to bring an entire boat of unbelievers to Jesus. Amen? <laughs> that, to me, is mind-blowing. Not only did the Ninevites get salvation, but these dudes in the boat who were helping him disobey, they got saved too. God brought them to a place of recognizing He was the Lord. And what caused them to come to faith it was God's mercy because he did not continue the storm and crush and kill those men it was also God's mercy that caused a fish to swallow up Jonah because in the storm without the fish swallowing up Jonah Jonah's dead even though Jonah wanted to die God was like nope I'm gonna give you some mercy buddy and for these men in the boat they came to repentance, and they came to realizing who God was. And Jonah still did not repent despite the mercy of God. Listen, God has given us so much mercy. I do not deserve to be saved, 
If you saw my life before Christ and saw my brain after Christ, I need to be sanctified every day. I do not deserve the mercy of Christ. No human deserves the mercy of Christ. But when we come to faith, His merciful grace overwhelms us. And we see that even though I didn't deserve it, He still died for me. While I was still in my sins, He died for me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That is mercy. We can allow the mercy of God to push us forward on mission, to empower the mission that God has called us to, to give us eyes to see the need to preach and teach and live the gospel of Jesus where we are, to help people get sent to the hard places by our treasure, to engage in ministry here in this church, volunteering with our children and our youth, being people of sacrifice, bringing the truth of God's gospel, remembering the mercy that he's given us that we can teach that mercy to others. That empowers the mission that we have been called to. His mercy changed their lives. And I believe that fully grasping God's mercy on us should inspire us to be on mission. When we fully understand the truth and the greatness and the depth of His mercy, we should be blown away. And when He calls us to something, we should want to obey because it's overwhelming to think of. Allow His mercy to bring you on mission. Allow His mercy to empower you to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. To go, to send, to pray. There are people that we serve in the Christian Missionary Alliance through giving and sending that are in hard places. May we help them, pray for them, give but may we also here in this place go and be on mission for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your undeserved mercy. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that we will be convinced and convicted of our need to go on mission, to send and pray for those who are across the globe. May we be people unlike Jonah, who say yes, even when we want to say no. In your name, amen.